she ignores all kinds of evidence that when the government chooses for parents, the government often makes terrible decisions, leaves kids in schools where the kids are being bullied or they're being abused or sexually abused or not even or not learning or 20% of them are dropping out. All kinds of horrible outcomes when governments make decisions about where kids go to school. That And then she says, oh, well, this carpenter, though, he, boy, he, he can't pick a school. He's just he's too uneducated for, you know, for that to happen. Us elitists, we need to coerce these choices for parents. Welcome to Random Assignment. This is both an audio podcast and a video live stream. I'm joined as usual by the great man, the great juggernaut. His name is, well, you could call him Corey DeAngelis, or if you're a Twitter file, it's at DeAngelis Corey. Is that because someone else had Corey DeAngelis? Is that why you you did that? I have no idea why okay. I did that. This this was, you know, like I created my Twitter account maybe in 2013, and I don't know what I was doing, and I just kind of kept it since then. I didn't even really use it when I first created the account, but yes. Oh well. Let me just ask a question: If a wealthy donor wants to donate to Reason Foundation and direct that donation to Corey DeAngelis, is that allowed, Corey? Could someone do that? I guess they could. Why? Do you have a lot of money you're about to give me? Or? <laughs> <laughs> I was about to say, also, Choice Media is a 501c3 nonprofit. We are accepting your fully tax-deductible contributions. I'm Bob Bowden with Choice Media. And this time, I actually have it already. This is uh, brought to you by the Choice Media smartphone app. There it is, everybody. Available for the low, low price of free. And so thanks for joining us. How are you doing, Corey? I'm doing pretty well, except for, you know, it's 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 been nice weather in DC until just now today. It started raining a little bit, and so I'm watching that outside the the the, the gloomy view out the window right here. It looks like you have some sunshine over there. You're not yeah, too far actually, away. Either. It, it looks, although it's it's a little cloudy in the distance. It's uh yeah, we had a, some great weather for about a week, um, and now it looks like it's going to be a little more rainy and stuff during this next week, the next four four or five days anyway. Um, but I wanted to tell our viewers and our, our listeners, we have a humdinger of a show. This show is titled Zip Code Shouldn't Determine Your Life. Is that the phrasing we future. went with? Future. Your future. Boom. Okay. Okay. Fair enough. But, well, you're, you're cut. <laughs> he's pissed off. I said, left. anyway, <laughs> zip code shouldn't determine your future, everybody. But you're going to have to wait because that story is almost at the end of the show. We have all a whole bunch of. Uh, elements, uh, meaning video and sound clips and sound bites and everything. And we're going to start with the fact that the president of the United States and the vice president both started talking suddenly, I guess, started talking about school choice. Not that the president has mentioned it in previous State of the Union addresses. However, for whatever reason, this week, school choice was... Uh, in the in the case of Trump, a, a, a speech, and in the case of Vice President yep. Vice President Pence, an answer to a question on Fox News Channel. So, Corey, what do you got there? Yeah, I'll show you just a couple of the videos. And like you were saying, Bob, they've really turned up the volume on school choice in the past week, uh, Pence and Trump. So here's one of the, the most recent Trump videos. We're fighting for school choice, which really is the civil rights of all time in this country. Frankly, school choice is the civil rights statement of the year, of the decade, and probably beyond, because all children have to have access to quality education. A child's zip code in America should never determine their future, and that's what was happening. 
So we're very, very strong on school choice, and I hope everybody remembers that. And it's happening. It's already happened, but it's happening. We have tremendous opposition from people that know they shouldn't be opposing it. School choice. All children deserve equal opportunity because we are all made equal by God. So true. I guess School I misspoke. Choice. Yeah, I guess I misspoke. So there's another zip code related story at the end of the show. People don't have to wait, actually, to hear the title. <laughs> it's all throughout the show. That's it's why all it's throughout the, the title. Show. Yeah. And uh, I kind of, don't you hate when he goes off prompter there and he kind of says, School choice. And he goes, Is. The civil uh, rights thing. He did a better job like five days ago, and I, I tweeted about it, and he actually retweeted my tweet about this one, maybe because it sounded better. Um, but I don't know if you saw this one. He called the enact school choice. Now I did a whole thread on this one. And what I thought was interesting is what he really got right here is he, he went on a, a, like a kind of a, a tangent about how school choice creates competition, you can see him moving with his hands here saying, look, you know, the schools have to fight harder and harder because all of a sudden they say, oh, crap, we're losing it. We have to fight hard. And he says it gets better in so many ways. And he's talking about, you know, the competitive pressures that school choice creates. So I took the liberty of, you know, sharing the studies on, you know, the competitive effects of private school choice programs. 25 of 27 have found positive effects. So he, get, he got that right. Did you say the president retweeted you? Yeah, he retweeted this one, the, wow. the the other one that I think he sounded a little better, and maybe that's why he retweeted this one wow. and, not, and not the other one. You got um, the 30, 33,000 likes on that. I guess that's why. Wow. Well done. <laughs> but, but he's right that, you know, zip code shouldn't determine your future. Um, should we bring up the other clip from the other candidate who said sure. something similar? Might as well since uh, uh, they both, both used this rhetoric. So here's from uh, Joe Biden, a shorter clip from – couple of months ago, I think. Providing every child access to good education, regardless of their zip code. <laughs> so, I mean, it's a little shorter. It's yeah. kinda... Although he also said this whole Betsy DeVos charter school, I forgot the noun he used. Wait, you talking about issue. this? And so the point is, if I'm president, Betsy DeVos's whole notion from charter schools to this are gone. Notion. That's it. The word was notion. Okay. So which is a, it? <laughs> should your should your should your should your education be determined by your zip code or should charter schools be gone? Which one is it? <laughs> well, I think we know that by the first clip, what he meant is we need to pour a bunch of money as yep. inputs into government schools, and because in his view that will yep. fix the government schools. Um, and then the vice president yep. also yesterday was answering a question and a question not even about education and worked in this comment. So we're going to take these steps today uh, to help improve policing, to help uh, to move that process forward as a country in the wake of these tragic events and the violence that ensued. But we're not going to stop there, Brian. I mean, Biden says everybody ought to have a fair shot at the American dream. Well, we would say, well, well why don't you support allowing African-American families to choose where their kids go to school? I mean, this president has actually stood strong for school choice. We've doubled the educational choice program here in our nation's capital. And we really do believe that uh, that you, you, shouldn't, uh, you, you shouldn't be denied the ability to choose where your kids go to school just because of your zip code or because of your income. Boom. 
Yeah, he, you know, he mentioned African-American parents shouldn't be denied. Of course, we would say, why should any parent be denied yeah. the right to pick a school? But he is uh, he kind of tied that with this policing issue. And he is right about one thing. It polls well, but not not, you know, with, with parents of all races. And uh, it's basically really just white Democrats that school choice doesn't uh, poll well with, according to the Ed Next survey from last year. Uh, it's but if you look at, at black voters or Hispanic voters, they there's wide support for school choice. So I think I think if he's, uh, you know, if you if you if you believe in kind of politics as divided by demographic groups, which I generally don't, you know, in terms of like <laughs> that kind of that style of wedge politics or kind of picking out, you know, uh, uh, groups and targeting them uh, for uh, issues like I, 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 don't, I don't really believe in that. But nevertheless, he. Uh, He's right that it will win black votes, I think, as well as others. Yeah, I mean, yeah, you're right. If you look at the Education Next poll, whatever type of private school choice you're looking at, whether it's tax credit scholarships, voucher programs, or charter schools, uh, African-American and, and Hispanic voters uh, had much higher percentages of favorability for each of those programs than, than white voters. Um, so the, the data backs up that uh, you know assertion. But then also, if you just look at the data on who exercises school choice, look at charter schools in the United States, uh, about 15% of the student population in, in the government-run schools are uh, African-American students, whereas almost twice that proportion of African-American students are in charter schools. About 27% of students in charter schools in the United States are African-American right. students. So when you have someone saying that charter schools are gone, um, I, I don't see how that could... You know, Which is uh, an interesting, when you look at the NAACP, and I think it was 2016, they voted for their moratorium on charter schools. And you'd say, well, it's these schools in so many urban areas serve so many black parents who picked those charter schools. Why would the NAACP, of all groups, oppose expansion of this? And part of it is that there is an employment base of black teachers in government schools that I think the NAACP was playing to. But also by saying moratorium instead of shrinking, they were, they were kind of saying, all right, if you're already in the charter, don't worry, we won't mess with you. You're okay. We'll just keep more families from being saved by, by yeah, I mean, and in so doing protect the jobs of some of the African-American I mean, teachers in the government schools. So it's a, yeah. it's a complicated issue of the, of, the, of the populations, whether you're looking at the kids or whether mm -hmm. you're looking at the adult jobs. I mean, that's one way to look at it. But I recently did a study with Marty Lucan, and we looked at the proportion of minority or African-American uh, teachers in the schools and the charter schools, at least in Indiana, had much higher proportions of African-American teachers as well. So, um, and I, I haven't seen the data on this nationally, um, but but just looking at that one study that I published in Social Science Quarterly with Marty Luke, and it looks like Interesting. Uh, charter schools employ a higher amount of uh, huh. African-American teachers. And we were just talking on the Educational Freedom Institute podcast uh, just uh, a couple days ago with David Hardy, the founder of Boys Latin in Philadelphia. Yeah. And just David Hardy's it, a champion. Yeah, he's a great guy and a great, great school. I've been to that school too. And uh, as I often say, you walk into a school, you can instantly tell a well-run school. It feels orderly. The kids seem happy. There's a, just a, you know, general lack of the chaos that you sense in all, a lot of the government schools. I'm sorry, I interrupted though. Go ahead. Oh, no. And we were just talking about with David Hardy just a couple of days ago. He was also saying, just anecdotally speaking, that his charter schools were uh, had, having higher proportions of minority teachers as well. Well, there are many uh, matching that do. the yes. students. And there so we talked a little bit about, you know, like the effects of race 
matching between teachers and students, how that, how that could be helpful for sub-minority students in some cases. Absolutely. Um, so that's just anecdotally speaking. And, and just one other sort of rabbit hole on this, you know, I, I feel that hiring black teachers is a really important thing. And we have many friends that, that kind of promote that actively. Um, and I would make the same point about hiring more black cops, which is we kind of where we started with this Pence clip. We started talking about the police issue, but uh, I think hiring black cops would be, um, I was saying this 20 years ago, I was just to date myself on television when I was talking about the Rodney King rides, which were a little few years before that. But still, I remember kind of saying, yeah, well, I think maybe hiring more black cops would be one thing that could at least be tried uh, more proactively than it has been. So there you go. Yeah, and I just want to point out to the listeners that I think it's interesting that both presidential candidates have used this kind of rhetoric now about your zip code shouldn't determine your future, but they have totally different policy proposals. Biden is to restrict choice and to leave you in, in, in your neighborhood school, but then to just throw more money at the problem, whereas Trump is coming from a different angle saying, you know, your zip code shouldn't actually determine your particular school. You should be able to pick your school just like your zip code doesn't determine your grocery store. You should just be able to cross those lines and maybe even just get rid of those invisible lines that that cause students to go to particular schools. And I actually, on this really quickly, wanted to share a video highlighting Tim DeRoche's book, A Fine Line. I'm not sure if you've uh, seen this video yet, Bob, but here it is. He kind of goes over the history of redlining in the 1930s in the U.S. and how the attendance zones in modern day America kind of look pretty similar to the redlining zones uh, in in this country's past, which which use discriminatory practices, which she kind of thinks of attendance zones today as educational redlining. So here's a little short clip uh, describing Tim's book, uh, which is called A Fine Line. In every city, there were desirable areas shaded green or blue and Then there were declining or hazardous areas in yellow and red, areas with significant populations of minorities and immigrants. And the government discriminated against those people based on where they lived, and so did private banks. So we started looking at the modern-day attendance zones of many elite public schools. Take a school like Ivanhoe Elementary in the Silver Lake neighborhood of Los Angeles, which isn't that far from where we live. An attendance zone is a map that shows who can or can't get into a coveted public school. And you can see that the shape of the zone often kind of mirrors the desirable area from the 30s. And it still excludes areas with lots of immigrants and minorities. These are schools with demographics that don't necessarily match the broader communities in which they're based. So this is true of elite public schools in New York City, Dallas, Indianapolis, even other schools in L.A. It's really all over. I think of it as educational redlining. What a great piece and very, very well told, easy to understand, and yet not talked about enough. Yep. And just to remind everyone, I'll I'll pull it up on the screen really quickly. It's uh, his book is called A Fine Line. Um, and I recommend anybody to go check it out. It's, it's a pretty new release on Amazon. It came out just a couple months, uh, maybe just last month, actually, yeah, May 17th, 2020. Uh, a fine line, how most American kids are kept, kept out of uh, the best public schools. He also has a Quillette piece on this with the same title if you want to go check it out. Great. 
So while we're talking so much about politics, I hate to sound like we're, you know, uh, it's kind of Democrats on one side and Republicans on another. There used to be a lot more pro-school mm-hmm. choice Democrats, <laughs> not not even that long ago. It seemed like uh, many people argued Barack Obama was one of them, at least in the charter sector. Yeah. And yeah. certainly, uh, you know, Jerry Brown founded charter schools, well, you know, considered a pretty liberal governor of California. And people like Rahm Emanuel, mayor of, of Chicago, supported charter schools and Governor Andrew Cuomo in New York was pro charter school fighting Mayor de Blasio earlier in earlier in de Blasio's, uh, you know, uh, tenure as mayor. So anyway, but nevertheless, we have some Kamala Harris. news. some more politicians here. We got to talk about Corey. Yep, I'll I'll get that. Yeah. So New York Times actually just came out with a pretty full length interview with Kamala Harris. Uh, The title of the uh, interview is called Kamala Harris's done explaining racism but what's interesting here is she gets she repeats the uh the incorrect statements that we talked about last week that were going viral on twitter and other forms of social media when people were saying oh you know we i'll I'll just bring up the clip from the person uh that went viral uh just last week when they were saying defunding police sounds radical until you realize that we've been defunding education for years. Hmm. And this was last week. They had over 660,000. Do you have the Harris quote? Yeah. I'll pull up the the Harris quote too here in just a second as well. Uh, But it's, um, I actually highlighted it here. She said something about, you know, uh, cities are spending about a third of their budgets on policing, which is questionable. If you look at the urban Institute report that, looked at different expenditures in the US, only about 3% of state and local expenditures go towards policing, 4% go towards corrections. So about 7% on average go to policing and corrections. So one third was kind of off, but this was the bigger thing that education, you know, uh, that the, the educators should look at and people in the education debate is that she said that, put that in context of the fact that over the last many decades, she didn't say over the past couple of years or anything, she even made it clear over the mass, last many decades, so many decades. over 10 years, over 20 years, we have essentially been defunding public schools. You know what that tells me, Corey? She did not watch last week's edition of Random Assignment, did she? Senator Harris <laughs> missed last week's edition episode. Yeah, we went over all about this. We, 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 yeah. inflation. we told her it was going to be on the test. Even, she missed everything. <laughs> even after adjusting for inflation, we have increased real per pupil uh, expenditures in, at the K-12 level in the United States by 280% since 1960. That's right. And if you look at every decade, it's increased uh, throughout the and United States. Even when you look at her own home state, and I, I tweeted about this too, um, trying to get New York Times to fix this. Education Next, which I'll pull up in a second, also highlighted this. But look, here's here's in real terms in 2018 dollars, it's gone up every decade. So what decade is, is she talking about? She said many decades. It's not true. Let's look at her home state of California. Every single decade, it's gone up. Um, between 1970 and 2017, inflation adjusted per pupil education expenditures have gone up by 129% in California. But Which Kamala is more Harris, than doubling, everyone. That means more than doubling. <laughs> Kamala Harris says that we've essentially been defunding uh, public schools. That word essentially is doing a lot of heavy lifting no, here. Essentially. We- yeah, no, I was going to say maybe, but she means by essentially, she means uh, not. Like, <laughs> we, <laughs> like essentially I, 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 been defunding means not been defunding. Like essentially, maybe she has such a broad 
you know, subjective interpretation of that. It's almost some kind of a hallucinogenic trip. But when she says essentially, it kind of is this cloud of ambiguity that's vague and not clear. And who knows? You know, it just so. Yeah, that's what I'm going to argue. Uh, yeah, I mean, means- essentially up is down is essentially what she's right. saying, right? I mean, it, the, 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 the direction isn't even the same. I mean, yeah. maybe you can make an argument if it was going up or maybe it was only going down by 1%. Yeah, you can say we've essentially been yeah. defunding public schools, I, but it's gone, I, gone up by a you know, it's gone the other direction by a lot every decade. There's no way you can say this. Uh, I call if I if I, to, if I flap my arms, I can essentially fly like a bird. Exactly, essentially, essentially speak. I mean, yeah. that's kind of politician speak. I I kind of got a lot of um, uh, traction on social media with this. At least you know over two hundred thousand impressions. New York Times hasn't changed it yet. Uh, it's it's been a couple of days. Some of my followers have emailed them, but then even uh, a legitimate outlet, Education Next, even before I tweeted about this, yeah, uh, says that the New York Times lets a senator they're talking about Kamala Harris spread information, misinformation, uh, get, uh, misinformation. again. Yep. Information is essentially mis- misinformation these days. So again, and so they point out, you know, the fact that the police budgets seem to be a lot less than you know, 30%. And like I said, you know, in, in the Urban Institute pegs that number at 7% of the, of the state and local expenditures are uh, towards policing and corrections. But they focused again on the the same thing I focused on that, you know, if you look at every decade, spending has gone up in yeah, the US, yeah. in yeah. California. And so uh, I don't know if they're going to, I mean, we got it. they just let her say stuff like that. And they just, they, just let, they should say right something. Now. They should say something like, you know, Kamala Harris said this without any evidence or something like that. Of course, you can't correct her quote, but you can kind of clarify that. Sure, well, this actually sure. isn't, Or this reach actually out to someone true. else for a, you know, for, well, I guess if it's just an interview of her and that's the whole piece, maybe you wouldn't include quotes from others. But, but to your least, point, yes, you can at least say uh, it's asterisk or uncorroborated or somehow you can indicate that it's, you know, not necessarily true. Um yeah. The you know there was an, there was a stand-up comedian that once told a joke about New Hampshire, which I repeat all the time. Probably every time on the show we mention New Hampshire, Corey, I'll tell the same joke. But his joke was, you know, their license plates say "Live Free or Die." Uh, gee, what what happens if uh, you know? Do you realize that it's the people in prison making the license plates? They're actually in prison making a license plate that says "Live Free or Die." Isn't that sad? Anyway, Ouch. that's the joke. Uh, so with that as an introduction, we want to bring up this particular. Jean Deitch, I believe, that's my best effort at pronunciation of the state senator from New Hampshire's, Hampshire's name. She was speaking at a House Education Committee, and it's kind of a paraphrase there in that, in that InsideSources.com headline, working class parents don't have the intelligence to oversee their kids' education. But, uh, Corey, you came up with some actual audio of this. And, yeah, yeah, some it's audio was right? leaked, leaked to me so we can share it with our listeners for the first time. I don't, I don't know if this has been um, shared anywhere in any of these news sources, but uh, here it is. Um, and then we'll go and look into uh, what people have had to say about this quote. I, I think that this um, idea of parental choice, you know, that's great parent is well educated and has the time to review the product and so there's some families that that's perfect for 
but to force that and to make it available to everyone, um, you know, uh, that kind of direct sale, uh, I, I just think you are asking for a huge amount of trouble, and I, I would not recommend it. It's funny. She, she frames choice, and one sentence later with the phrase, and to force that. Like from her point of view, it's something to do with we're gonna force choice. <laughs> oh dear, you're gonna have to make it's a Orwellian newspeak. Yeah, it is. yeah, you're exactly right. It's like, yeah, oh my goodness, we have people are gonna be forced to make their own decisions. No, because the default is you just do the same thing as usual, right? You're not forced to do anything. <laughs> yes. She went on to say, My father didn't graduate from high school, so it was really important that I went to college. When it gets into details, she said, would my father have known what courses I should be taking? I don't think so. And so she somehow conflates uh, the, the idea that a father would pick her courses with the simple act of choosing the best school for a kid. Yeah, if dad's a carpenter and you want to become a carpenter, then listen to your dad. But Ooh. clearly making an elitist argument here that, you know, please. And it, it she ignores all kinds of evidence that when the government chooses for parents, the government often makes terrible decisions, leave kids in schools where the kids are being bullied or they're being abused or sexually abused or not even or not learning or 20 percent of them are dropping out. All kinds of horrible outcomes when governments make decisions about where kids go to school. That, and then she said, oh, well, this carpenter, though, boy, he, he can't pick a school. He's just he's too uneducated for, you know, for that to happen. Us elitists, we need to coerce these choices for parents. So anyway, I mean, that's the problem. That's the problem. I like I like when people kind of say the quiet part out loud so that we can call these things out, because I think this is the heart of the opposition, a lot of the opposition, at least to uh, freedom in general. And especially when it comes to educational freedom, is that some people just believe that low income families don't have the competence to choose the educational environments for their own children. And um, I, I think that's a ridiculous take. I think it's an elitist take, a paternalistic take. Um, and most people, I believe, understand that, you know, that's not the right that's not the right way to look at people that, that are less fortunate than themselves. So and I, and I tweeted out second only to protect my job. This yep. <laughs> those uneducated parents aren't capable of choosing is the most common you know, defense of the establishment. So you have kind of this tandem, some people that just want no school choice to to protect their jobs. Other people uh, have this, you know, view, this elitist view, and they kind of work in tandem in a way. But then she did apologize, I guess. New Hampshire, uh, an apology link we have there, Corey, New Hampshire State Senator says she misspoke. We need to do diligence. We need to include uh, her apology in our yeah. little coverage. Mm -hmm. We can yeah. all say something wrong from time to time. Here it is. Uh, Daily Caller covered it. All right. So back, she takes back, it back. back. Yeah. Okay. Well, whatever. So did it is what it is. Did she completely backtrack or? Uh, I think she kind of just. I think she kind of just went around it. Um, I think she kind of just started talking about that. Oh well, you just need. You know, if if you don't understand it, you need to get input from educators or something. Yeah. But she goes not uh, unless they have time and, and and not unless they have the time and understanding. So in a way, she didn't really fully apologize. No. She, yeah, she's like saying, well, maybe if a carpenter really has a lot of time, then they can pick a school, but mm -hmm. not if they don't, or something. 
anyway, <laughs> uh, whatever. It's, it's some it's some, it's some state center in New Hampshire, but uh, there you have it. All right. Anyway, so let's we're we're doing a lot of heavy politics, aren't we? We did we did Trump and Pence, yeah, AOC, then we did Kamala Harris. Now we've done an elected representative in New Hampshire, and now you got AOC on the agenda. Corey. Yeah, and right when I saw this tweeted out, I knew it was going to go pretty viral. Right, like I, I caught it within a couple of minutes. It now has over three hundred thousand likes. Um, but she says teachers are paying out of pocket for school supplies, yet police are given extra tanks. I don't wow, know if really? police department have tanks. tanks i don't think they should have tanks but i don't think they do have i know there is some huh. you know problems with police militarization but look she says budgets convey priorities we should question ours uh right. the first the first problem here is that the the police and, and even if you count corrections with police with like prison spending that's far lower than what we spend on education and as I said, Urban Institute uh, just did a report on this a couple of years ago using, I think, 2017 data, finding that on average in the United States, 31% of state and local expenditures go to higher education and lower and, and K through 12 education, whereas only 7% go towards, uh, you know, so less than a quarter of that go towards policing and corrections combined. So yeah, she's kind of. I mean, if she's going to say that, she she's kind of saying, yeah, our, our our priority is education right now, since we spend over four times the amount on education. But I don't know if she knows that. Uh, but to get to her, the deeper problem here, I, I, of course, corrected her showing that, look, we've increased spending dramatically over time. But uh, the bigger problem is, well, I questioned, you know, why are teachers paying out of pocket for school supplies? As Ben Scafidi showed in his report, between 1992 and 2014, we've increased real per pupil uh, education expenditures on the K through 12 level in the U.S. by 27%, but real teacher salaries dropped by 2%. The problem is that the money's not making it to the classroom. The problem is that that the monopoly system does not have any meaningful incentives to allocate these dollars wisely. So what you have are a bunch of teachers essentially having to pay out of pocket for school supplies and their their salaries remaining stagnant over time. It's um, the continued so, inability to distinguish wasteful spending from insufficient spending. And to so many of these people, we've seen this a thousand times where they will say, oh, look, there's not enough money for this thing that's really good. Therefore, we're not spending enough. And they are never analyzing how poorly the money is spent or how wastefully the money is spent on other things, all kinds of fruit, just cafeteria food that's thrown away alone. I mean, I've, I've seen districts where millions of dollars are are wasted on food that doesn't get eaten. There's all I've I've personally been to a high school. I walked in and saw stacks of brand new workbooks that had been sitting unused for years. Uh, laptops that are purchased and 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 unused or thrown away. I mean, there's all, I mean the waste stories go on and on. And so yes, this idea that like because we don't have a money for, enough money for this thing that we like, therefore we need overall increase in spending. You know, there's probably some sort of analogy to say, uh, gee, I don't know. What's a good analogy? I'm too tired to think of it. But uh, some kid that needs a toy and be like, well, I guess we don't spend enough on household, on the household because I don't have this toy I want. Well, you know. Anyway. Well, I mean, the basic problem here, again, is that if you don't have incentives to spend the money wisely, if you don't have school choice, yeah. then we're just going to continue pouring more money into a system. And teachers are still going to have to pay for their supplies out of pocket. If the money doesn't reach this, the classroom and there's no, you know, uh, 
meaningful theory as to why that, sh that, 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 that the monopoly system will have any incentive to do so, we shouldn't expect things to be different um, than, than what we've seen in, uh, throughout history in the United States. But then also, look, here's another prominent figure who kind of repeated this falsehood. We have Kamala Harris before AOC kind of, you know, slightly repeating the, the idea that we've defunded education. But then you have Marianne Williamson who said, you know, the same thing, you know, hey, defund the police, yada, yada. Where's all the outrage when they were defunding education? What is she talking about? Yeah. Same thing. So that's right. just another uh, example that I wanted to point out. We haven't defunded education over time. We've done the opposite. Unless, I mean, look, we've defunded. You could say that the money isn't making into the classroom, but that's a whole different issue. Um, it's a more of a systemic issue. And I think you and I would both agree that perhaps we're defunding education in the sense that we're not spending the money wisely. But I think what most people are meaning when they say that is that, you know, we, we've been cutting education funding, which is not the case. Yeah. You know what we should fund? We should fully fund school choice. Fund students. See, that way, because it's never been done in America, everybody, not once. We've never once had a school choice program that gets as much money as the government schools with which it competes. So there you go. Now you have you have the uh, DC program where the the kids in the government schools get thirty one thousand four hundred eighty dollars per year, whereas the voucher students only get ninety four hundred dollars per year, less than a third. <laughs> Same, yeah, Milwaukee voucher program, but somewhere between a half and a third the amount of money for the schools of choice. Uh, anyway, I wanted to move on and do like a couple of these racial stories keep coming up. I'm getting a little a little, a little you know tired of call covering them, but we'll just cover some quickly. Uh, this is a, about a Vermont principal placed on leave after posting, quote, just because I don't walk around with a Black Lives Matter sign should not mean I am a racist, unquote. So that was the quote that got this principal, I guess, suspended. And uh, it, I mean, it is, it is worth noting, after all, that at least this, teach, this, this principal was saying, I am, basically, this is an anti-racism message. The principal mm -hmm. saying, I this should not mean I am a racist. Basically saying, I am not a racist. I don't want to be thought of as a racist. I'm right. against racism, in other words. And just basically creating, a, there is a separation between, between Black Lives Matter and the general concept of racism, as all this te all teacher, all this principal said. So that kind of made the news and seemed, uh, you know, a little strange to some people. Um so they're on leave. Yeah, I just want to. So they're on. She's on leave. Just and that's pretty much all she said. That I, I'm not a racist. Pretty much. Yeah, I know. And then look at that. Later, then she writes, "It was a terrible misjudgment." Oh no, excuse me. Somebody else said it was a terrible misjudgment. Oh, someone else said Right. So, so yeah, that's wow. all she said. I mean, it doesn't. I mean, like it, you know, please. I, it's at some point. I mean, it's almost, say, it's almost like if you. It's almost like if you don't support this particular movement. This one group, and, it's a group a, with leaders, yes. If you have to support them, like that one group, or else you are, you know, a, a pariah. You know, it seems pretty odd to me. I don't want to like, you know. Yeah, anyway. it doesn't seem to me just saying this particular statement is racist in any you way. Know, uh, you have, Everybody yeah. knows I'm I'm on the side of you know police reform, and I've been really vocal about that and all the uh, injustices in our country. And uh, but 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 look, this particular statement doesn't seem like 
and, and maybe I'm missing a big, the bigger picture here. People, but you know, with the argument, they'll be like, you just, you know, that you're in, you're tone deaf. If you don't get in line, you have to get in line. This is a moment in time where everyone realizes this one thing. And if you kind of disagree with part of it, then you're uh, insensitive or not empathetic or all those things. Anyway, well, let's move on. I think people get that. Uh, we have a New York teacher who apologized. It's the same kind of thing. We're saying all mm -hmm. lives matter. Again, I mean, like it used to be only a few months ago or whatever that you needed to actually say something against uh, a race to be considered racist. Uh, now, I guess that definition is broadened to to a teacher for who says all lives matter. That's forbidden now, I guess. And you, of course, we know that the counter argument is that is denying um, uh, the degree to which, in particular, police. Uh, uh, you know, enforce laws against African-Americans at a different level, et cetera. And then there, <laughs> if you say all lives matter, you're kind of white, whitewashing that or ignoring that. Look, I, it just, it just, it is, it, it's at least worth noting that these goalposts have moved and that uh, you apparently need like an exact phrasing of some of these uh, talking points. Otherwise you uh, get in trouble. It seems odd to me, but there you have it. Um, uh, and then the next, go ahead. Yeah, yeah, the next story is, uh, yeah, is that this is this is about um, this is about a black principal who uh, who is in Chicago faces calls for resignation. Uh, the woman's name is Joyce Kenner. Um, she basically has worked for Reverend Jesse Jackson's Rainbow Push Coalition. Has uh, you know basically uh, you know I think been a pretty good principal, but. Nevertheless, she said this comment, which got all kinds, it got her in all kinds of trouble. She said, if I don't understand about black people's oppression, nobody else does. But she also, um, she also had, uh, let me just get the actual quote here. It says, um, I'm kind of, oh, here we are. We have a black police chief. We have a black mayor. We have a black CEO of Chicago public schools, but we still have racism in our society. And I think black men being targeted for no reason at all, because she said that. Um, but she basically asked students not to participate in violence or looting. That's basically what she, the reason she, this principal got in trouble was for asking students to not participate in violence or looting. And I guess people said, oh, this is conflating what? the protest with violence and looting. And therefore you have to resign. That's not the, uh, exact, um, you know, phrasing that is approved and so uh yeah so now i mean she i guess she hasn't resigned yet but it's, it's, a, it's a story in the chicago tribune is a you know the big the big paper uh, one of the two big papers anyway in chicago is ab about calls for you to resign simply because you ask students not to loot or not to participate in violence you know that's how well, and, and, she, and, and she's behind the idea of the movement. Right. And yes, yes. It's just that, they, that, it's we, just that, that we have systemic racism. And but but she then she's just saying. Yeah, it just wasn't the exact right. Yeah. She simply said, I guess to, to some, she was conflating peaceful mm -hmm. protests with violence and looting by having the temerity or audacity to say that students should not commit acts of violence or do looting. So this gets this principle. It's crazy. I mean, the times are crazy. I don't know. I, I just yeah, think it's I, crazy. I, 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 can, I can see how people don't want the looting to be conflated with the protesters. A lot of times the looters 
aren't even, you know, uh, people are that are that are behind the Black Lives Movement, Lives Matter movement. It's kind of, yeah. you know, people just ch- like taking advantage of the protest and and kind of chaos to loot. But just because she said, you know, don't don't loot while you're doing this, doesn't mean that, you know. Um, that that you're saying the two are one in the same. It's, it's just, we're getting you know, close trying- to speech codes. Yeah, we're getting close to to exact phrasings of you know where, where you know you're basically it, you know m- maybe in a in a fascistic or a communist country you might be jailed or sent to you know a Siberian gulag during the Soviet Union if you said you know things that the leaders didn't agree with. You know these days we don't have exactly that, but we have this cancel culture. Uh, that comes close to that in a way where people literally lose their jobs who are actually saying, I'm against racism. <laughs> and they said, don't say it the right way. And they still will be either suspended or at least the calls for them to, to be fired. And it's, it's uh, I'm a free speech guy all the way, man. I'm a first amendment purist. I believe uh, to let people say what they want. Now, obviously there's some sort of reasonable standard where, mm-hmm. you know, if a principal or a teacher is saying things that are, really bad and then i think we would all there are kinds of things that we might all agree and give us school not. choice what's that and give us school choice so we can leave you know, when the principals yeah. are saying things we don't like like anyway, like, so for example, are- like for example if 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 these principals are saying these things and people just had the choice to leave i want to you know we wouldn't really have to get into these contentious debates about what's the particular right way thing that they must say and what's what when when are they crossing the line right? we wouldn't true. have to have these discussions because that's true families could just vote with their feet and then uh, vote with their feet one size fits all systems cause fights that's is my, problem. Way, my i think that's the problem. yeah i think that's the problem I, and i also noticed that um on on kind of like our discussion about you know what where we're going to go with the show today we haven't we haven't touched on uh, the recent debate on homeschooling that was held by Cato Institute the other day. You're I, right. Uh, oh, you're right. Oh, my goodness gracious. What an event that was. So our, our friend Neil McCluskey at the Cato Institute uh, held a, I guess they called it a forum. They didn't call it a debate, but most of us kind of thought of it as a debate that was not being called a debate. But at any rate, uh, so our friend Elizabeth Bartholet, I say that in quotation marks, the anti-homeschooling Harvard professor at Harvard Law School, appeared in a live stream with uh, Carrie McDonald of the Cato Institute and also Neil McCluskey. And we have some of those some of those clips, I believe. Yep. And here's here's just a real quick, you know, kind of uh, what it looked what it was called, homeschooling, protecting freedom, protecting children. This was just two days ago on Monday. So if you didn't see it it was uh you know it's available here you can replay it um but we'll go that's great it's about 90 minutes we recommend people watch this yeah it's really interesting who called for that presumptive ban carrie mcdonald was kind of her foil here uh, you know taking the uh, the pro homeschooling stance you had milton geither who wants some regulated homeschooling then you have neil mccluskey also uh moderating but then also uh providing his insight as well uh he's from the cato institute so I'll uh, play some of those clips first from Elizabeth Bartlett, and then I'll play a response from Carrie McDonald. So if we look again at homeschooling and the area of abuse and neglect, yes, I think we have reason to worry that there is a very strong connection between homeschooling and child abuse and neglect. Um, I think there are a couple of studies, and I won't go into them now, but be happy to discuss them in the Q&A, a couple of studies that show 
um, a uh, worrisome connection. We don't have the kind of research we would like to have in this area, again, in large part because we don't have regulation because kids aren't required to register very often and it's hard to study this population. But there are some scary research studies out there. Oh, it's scary. And by the way, it looks like our friends at Cato misspelled Professor Bartholet's name. We have, we can make fun of him for that. But at any rate, uh, yeah. What, what is your response to that, Corey? Well, um, it's funny that she doesn't cite the study. She just says there's some pretty scary studies. Well, which one are you talking about? Well, when you look into her 80-page law review article, she cites essentially one study uh, with, that, that uses only uh, 28 observations or, stu or, or cases of extreme abuse. And then she tries to generalize that one study with only 28 individuals to the, uh, the population of homeschoolers, which is completely ridiculous. And the authors themselves, one being Barbara Knox, who was the lead author of the study, who was um, recently under investigation for uh, allegedly um, pressuring her colleagues to find abuse when abuse wasn't actually there. Uh, but you know, that aside, methodologically had, had problems because they, only, they selected particular cases of abuse and they admitted that. And they told, um, you know, they even went in their limitations section of the study and said, like, you shouldn't even do statistical tests on these data because we cherry picked the and handpicked the individuals included. And it's only 28 people. Um, so that's that's my main response. And then, you know, again, like we pointed out on, on another show, was that in 2014, she rightly argued against Russia today that we should allow an international adoption because cases of abuse are so rare. We shouldn't use rare cases of negative events to outlaw it for everybody. And that's the the, the, the uh, uh, outlook she took in 2014 when it came to international adoption. She, apply, she should apply that same logic to homeschooling, but she flips around. Or at least have the same level of scrutiny on the government schools that you apply on homeschooling. At least have an equal standard. Don't have an electron microscope on homeschooling rare anecdotes that are negative, where you talk about those and you basically bring those up over and over mm -hmm. again as if they are uh, some sort of representative sample, while ignoring thousands and thousands and thousands of cases which you're showing some of those right here from the Choice Media yep. website, yeah. Yeah. So, and, uh, and then and Carrie actually gets to that in her response. Yep. And so let's go over Carrie's response, which is which is right that we can't pretend like the uh, alternative is perfection because the alternative is far from perfect. It's the government school system. And here's Carrie's response. Professor Bartlett says that it's safe to for these children to go to the public school, that in fact, that's why under her proposed regulatory regime for homeschooling, she would expect um, young people to take uh, some classes or activities at the local public school, the local government school. The issue, though, is that government schools are not safe for many children. And here we have a highly regulated, standardized system of schooling uh, that's increasingly focused on surveillance with video cameras and metal detectors, um, where you have licensed educators and you still have rampant abuse. I mean, USA Today uh, just last fall revealed the federal probe into the Chicago public schools that found uh, 280 adult on student sexual harassment complaints and 2,800 student on student sexual harassment complaints over the course of four years. 
Boom. I mean, Carrie just brought the fire the whole time. So that's just one little clip. I recommend everybody go go check it yeah. out. Um, because look, she uses stats to back up her claims and she uses basic logic. Whereas you saw from the other video, you know, Bartlett has to rely on fear mongering. She even admits we don't have data on this, but it might happen. Um, so, I mean, that's the main difference. I think that's highlighted very well in these, these two different clips. Um, but yeah, and then also um, another response to Bartlett that, that we've been saying on the show over and over again is we're not saying that abuse doesn't happen in the home. We're just saying that the burden of proof should be as it currently is on the government to uh, to be, to have to prove to us why they should be able to take our right to educate our own children in our own homes away from us. Um, so if there is abuse and there is evidence of that happening, of course the government should step oh, in. Yeah. And I mean, no one's arguing that. And that's, so, yeah, but but she's arguing that parents should have to uh, prove themselves worthy to, to the government officials to yes. be able to educate their own children. To preemptively that, prove to the government that you are not an abuser. That is her standard. Yep, uh, that's. I mean, that's that's guilty until proven innocent. That's completely backwards, and that's an extremely high burden of proof to try to prove your innocence. Is uh, and I, I also just don't trust the government bureaucrats to get it to get it right. Um, and then also, uh, and also yeah, she wants yeah. to apply tests, academic tests too, to make sure yeah, you're teaching the right clear. things. Because you know, God forbid, you like teach your kid in some way that's not you know the government approved message about evolution versus creationism or about, I don't know, some other issue that may be controversial. What do you tell them about uh, a sex ed or abortion or something like, no, you have to use the government version of all these things instead of what yeah. a parent might believe. Yep. She also admitted that even if you're deemed worthy from the benevolent and omniscient government bureaucrats, that even if you're deemed worthy of educating your own children at home, she still says that you should be required to send your kids to the public schools for a couple of courses. So she calls that a presumptive ban, not an outright ban. I would call that an outright ban. You're saying that I can't, I have to send my kids to the public schools no matter yes. what. And just think about, she could yes. apply that logic to private schools too, right? Like, right. Is she yes. also going to put push this forward and say that, oh, well, private school students could shel be sheltered from these public values. Yeah. And so we got to force them to send their kids to the public schools part-time as well. Yes. Um, it's the same logic that, that, that can, can be applied. And yeah, she says, well, we'll, we'll, I'm willing to do less indoctrination for some homeschool parents. <laughs> well, that was basically what yeah. she's saying. Yeah. Not no indoctrination, but we'll, well, we can go from a hundred percent down to some 30% indoctrination. That's proving that she's flexible. Take it part time. I'll take parts, but you know, Germany does the same thing, right? So Germany outlaws homeschooling altogether. And I think you and I, and most rational people would say they have a ban on homeschooling outright. But some people in Germany, when they hear this, they say, "No, we didn't out outlaw homeschooling. You can still outlaw. You can still educate your children at home. Homeschooling is legal, but the thing is, you have to send them to schools too. So outside of the school time, fine. Yeah, you can homeschool right. your children. So, but that's just changing the definition of what homeschooling means yeah. uh, to right. make the idea seem less radical. But yeah, let's All move right. on to Netflix. Let's move on to Netflix, man. Net Reed yeah. Hastings, prominent <laughs> libertarian." This is the first time I saw this. I don't know what the heck's going on. It seems pretty secretive. You kind of threw this at me last second. Yeah. But next, Netflix billionaire founder is secretly building. It's it's always secret when there's a billionaire involved, right? Yeah. Uh, building a luxury retreat for teachers in rural Colorado. So what's going on at these luxury retreats in rural Colorado? 
I don't know yet. As the title says, it's the, secretly. The but new training other... center called Retreat Land at Lone Rock seems to be a priority for the Netflix CEO, at least based on Hastings' level of personal involvement. He and his wife have been visiting the area since at least 2017 when they went so far as to request a face-to-face meeting with a local fire chief at his Colorado firehouse to try and smooth over any looming permitting concerns. Uh, you know, the... The, the, when I see stories like this, so it reminds me of so often where you'll have some kind of uh, district have some reform where they will say, look, we're going to change tenure and it's going to or we're going to tweak some sort of teacher uh, training method and it's going to be better for this reason. And I always think to myself, I know we already know this is going to fail. This, this is like <laughs> a lot of the Gates Foundation. Stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're like, oh, we're going to focus on this kind of micro yeah, aspect, yeah. but they're still not fostering competition. They're still not allowing individual parents and families to walk away and go somewhere else. They're just going to have a top-down thing. We'll, we'll we'll have this way to teach teachers uh, differently, and that's going to, ch- you know, please. It doesn't change goodness, the how many failures the of these kinds of things do we see? This Reed Hastings, he could be giving money to Reason Foundation directed to Corey DeAngelis or to Choice Boom, Media. He could be writing – how much better would that be the use of his philanthropy than this retreat, a secret well, retreat? What is that going to do? Uh, it's crazy. These people are insane, Corey. A secret retreat. That's going to save American public education. Ooh, fully fun school choice, man. Give me some money. Let's oh do it. Yeah, but you're right. I mean, none, none of these top-down reforms ever work. The VAM thing didn't work. The uh, you know teacher, you know, uh, measuring effective teachers project project or yeah, whatever. Yeah, 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 yeah. All that uh, stuff. That, Jay that Green stuff. did a pretty good write-up about how most of the uh, effects were either null or negative if you had to count it either way. And they spent a tons of ton of money. So you're spending more money on one particular you know, reform and somehow you got more negative results and positive results. What a yeah. total waste. And I we, think it's because it's not driven by competition and people's choices. We're, what Reed here. Hastings could do is what I talked about two or three shows ago about take a town, offer a hundred percent of the funding to any parent that wants to walk away from the district school, whatever the district school is spending for a 12 or 13 year period, including kindergarten, 13 K through 12, 13 years for each student, each family that if they want to walk away, if they don't, that's fine. If they don't use all the money, they get it for a college fund, okay? An ESA for every family. And just let, let's see what happens. How about that for Mr. Hastings' philanthropy? Please, that's never been tried once. All this stuff, they do this stuff all the time. It always fails. Well, I mean, yeah, why, why is sending, you know, teachers on a little vacation at a luxury resort going to change their incentives in the long term right. to do a good job? They may get, you know, inspired or something in the short run, but until students can vote with their feet and families can vote with their feet, uh, the teachers, you know, may not have a very strong incentive in the long term, at least, to do a very good job. And they may not have the information uh, necessary to uh, understand what they even need to change if customers can't vote with their feet. So yeah. um, that's that's another signal that's important, not just incentives, but also choices convey information to the producers I'm gonna, as I'm well. Gonna, uh, Corey, I'm going to talk to him right now. Mr. Hastings, this is Bob. Let's go. Let's do it. Listen. Let's zoom in on you. <laughs> <laughs> we, we believe that you ought to fund, I mean, as great as it would be, probably Reason Foundation and Choice Media would be a great way to spend you know, some of your money. But this idea of having picking a town, offering every family exactly the amount that's spent in K through 12 now, 
if they want to walk away, they get that as an education savings account to spend however they want on online learning, on tutors, on five private schools, on any kind of uh, any kind of paradigm that makes sense to them. Try it. It'll be the first time anyone has ever tried this. It'd be completely innovative. It, Mr. Hastings, you can do this. You can. You have the money. I watched Netflix last night. You've got me money too. for me. Yes. <laughs> Use some of the Corey and Mai's money for this for this plan. Okay. We only have a few more minutes left. Let me get <laughs> let me get to the this was one this is one of my favorite stories of the week. By week, I mean we have a Wednesday to Wednesday, you know, week. But this is my question. Was your local government school teacher required to teach or not? Look at this number, a piece by Robin Lake in the 74. She's the director of the Center on Reinventing Public Education. Uh, it, researchers at her group analyzed 82 school district responses to COVID-19 closures and look at what they found. Oh my goodness, just one in three districts has been expecting all teachers to deliver instruction and rural and small town districts are far less likely than urban and suburban districts to communicate expectations. Okay, I guess. But nevertheless, one in three districts have been expecting all teachers to deliver instruction during this strange time called COVID-19. And I asked the rhetorical question, except it may not even be rhetorical if Corey wants to answer it. The rhetorical question I ask is, how many private schools serving parents and families who could walk away anytime they wanted to how many private schools only had one out of three? You know, what percent? We, we though it's one out of three Much district schools. Three. What percentage of private schools told yep. their teachers, yep. "You don't have to do anything during COVID nineteen"? If you have families that could walk away and they're paying tuition to that private school, what percentage of what do you, what do you think? It's what I don't twice, know the answer. It's why it's rhetorical. It's, it's over twice that amount. We had we saw this in the. Uh, um, uh, common sense media poll that came out a month or two ago, and 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 I, the the results are pretty similar for the public schools. That you know, I think around twenty to thirty percent in their analysis showed that uh, the schools were providing any type of virtual education for the public schools. And they also found in their same survey uh, that the private school students were over twice as likely. I think about seventy percent of them were providing some type of virtual education. This was like right in the wake of the yeah. uh, lockdown. It probably got higher after that. Probably higher now, exactly. Like, probably, Robin Lake should have just had this, this pure one, just the headline actually, the one in three, walked out with a microphone and then just dropped the mic. She should have actually just had a thing in the 74, it's a video of her walking out. She should just say, yeah, just yeah. one in three districts are requiring teachers to deliver instruction during COVID-19 and then just let go of the microphone and just let it that's fall. It. You can hear the, the crash. Story. And then just walk away. Like there's nothing. What else do you need to know? What else and do you need to know? We know here, private schools that serve parents who could walk away are not doing this one out of three. It's thing. because yeah, it's because they know their customers can vote with their feet and leave. They have to actually earn their business, right? With the, the government school system, all they're doing is uh, kind of begging the federal government for a bailout, and they're pushing at the state level to freeze enrollments. Private schools can't do that. They can't just freeze their enrollments. Right. If you lose, if you lose your your paying customers, you're going to have to shut down. And Cato's been doing a good job of, of uh, actually uh, tracking a lot of the actual private school closures that we've been seeing in the United States. And it's a uh, it's a tough time for private schools right now. And and because of that, they have to fight really hard to make sure they adapt to this change and make sure they provide meaningful services to their customers so that they don't have to shut down.
And while my Twitter feed is a grain of sand on the Corey DeAngelis Twitter beach, nevertheless, <laughs> I, in my own humble way, sent this out. There it is. How many private schools with parents with the freedom to walk away do you think stopped requiring teachers to teach during this time, I said. And there was the Choice Media original tweet of that uh, of that 74 piece. So there you have it. It's a great, great argument to fund students and not systems. Maybe, yeah. maybe the system would actually listen to the students and the families if the families could vote with their feet, just like the private schools are doing. <laughs> well, in honor again of the great click and clack, the Tappet brothers of the former NPR show Car Talk. That's it. You've wasted yet another hour listening to Random Assignment with the great Corey DeAngelis and me, Bob Bowden. Corey, what's you got anything fun to talk about at the end here as we wrap? You got any? Uh, you know, what's is anything open? You're in D.C. Are there restaurants open in D.C. right yeah, now? Yeah, man. Cassidy and I have been going to a couple outdoor patio restaurants, which has been nice. I don't think the in in person dining has opened yet, so that kind of sucks. But it was that's a the same nice in New Jersey now. Of- New Jersey's open for outdoor, not for indoor. Yeah, and you know, I don't know why there's you know that I, I understand why they're they're doing that, but you know, restaurants if they were able to do it in uh, inside as well, they would still have an incentive to space people out because they don't want to you know um, they don't want to be in the headlines of, of of spreading the coronavirus, so they would have a strong incentive to put one person on this side of the restaurant, put one person over here. They're doing it outdoors as well. They're spreading people out, so. Um, Hopefully, you know, D.C. opens up for eating in person um, uh, soon. And I, and I expect that restaurants will will, uh, you know, take steps in the right direction of, you know, like we, we went to the rooftop pretty close by and they still required us to, to wear the mask. And, you know, they gave us hand sanitizer and stuff and they uh, had all the menus on our mobile devices instead of having a paper menu. So there's less, you know, contact. And then all the pay was, you know, in advance online too. So I was, cool at a, I was at a Mexican restaurant on Monday. I thought, wow, this is the first time, not counting takeout, but this is the first time I've actually eaten at a restaurant. And I couldn't even remember the last time. It'd been months, of course, like most people. And boy, those those two margaritas went down easy. Boy, they went down <laughs> so easy, Corey. You're, you're big on the Mexican food, aren't you? Because like the first time you had takeout when we were talking about this, it was Mexican food too. Hey, right? I guess so. <laughs> I guess so. I yeah, I love all kinds of food actually, but yeah, I guess I did. I've I've done two Mexican food references in a row, haven't I? Well, there you go. Yeah, it makes me want to go back to Texas to visit San Antonio, yeah. man. Good good Mexican food. Sure do, sure do. All right. Well, thanks everybody. Thank you for watching. Please share and subscribe and like and do all those things in social media. Yep. Uh, good good talking to everyone, and we'll check into your comments after the show. Sorry, we didn't get to them. Uh, but again, thanks for spending another hour with Bob Bowden and myself on the Choice Media and Random and uh, Reason Foundation Random Assignment Podcast. <laughs>